Today we have Andrew Shutsky on the show. Are you ready to change your life for the better? Andrew Shutsky is a technology guy and a real estate investor who can help you achieve success. He's been where you are and knows what it takes to make the leap to a better tomorrow. Andrew has the unique ability to take complex subjects and break them down into easy-to-follow steps that anyone can understand and follow. Listen and learn. Before we jump into the intro, I want to let everyone know I wrote a book called Why Not You? You can find it on Amazon by searching my name. Why did I write a book? To inspire others to go after their goals and dreams. Because too many people are afraid to take a chance. Because I wish I started earlier. And to share what I've learned. Who is it for? Anyone with that pit in their stomach that wants to do something, but they're afraid to try. Action takers and someone who likes to learn from others. This book is not the five steps to getting rich or anything like that. But for less than $20 and a few hours of reading, you could be well on your way to deciding to go after that goal that lives in the pit of your stomach. Now, on to the intro. Welcome to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show. Each week, you will learn how to grow your wealth through real estate investing, be introduced to the players that are getting it done, and learn how you can get involved. And now, here's your host, Darren Batchelder. A little background on Andrew Shutsky before we start the show. Andrew lives in Pennsylvania with his family. He started on the computer at the early age of five years old. He stuck with it and is currently CIO for a major medical technology company. Andrew started investing in cash flowing real estate 14 years ago and has continually pushed himself to learn, grow, and scale, and he wants to share his experience with others. Now, on to the show. Hello, everyone. Today, we have a very special guest. We've got Andrew Shutsky. Andrew, appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure. Absolutely. So just a little bit on how we know each other. Um, so Andrew and I were both co-GPs together on a, on a deal. It was a 2 uh, property deal in Greenville, South Carolina. The two lead sponsors on that were Arn Senadella and Reed Goosens. And um, so with us being two co-sponsors, we, you know, Andrew actually reached out to me and we got on the phone and we started talking to each other. Next thing you know, we both knew, you know, found out we had podcasts and we said, hey, let's get each other on. So here we are. So I appreciate you coming on. Hey, um, first Question I typically ask is how many properties and how many units you're invested in? You know, I saw your email this morning. I had to do a little bit of math in my head because I hadn't, <laughs> I hadn't retallied since You, you can ballpark it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just north of 1,600 units. And that's a combination of a general partner, a limited partner, and some single family short-term rental stuff. I guess it's a grand total, if you want to call it that. Yeah, that's awesome. So- from looking at your bio, you've been doing real estate investing for a while. So one, maybe share 
what you do, I know you still have a corporate job, so <laughs> share, you know, what you do for a corporate job, your background, and then, you know, how and why did you get involved in real estate investing? Yeah, no, great question. Uh, I'd, I'd say first and foremost, um, I'm a tech guy at heart, right? So 15, 20 years, technology background, got into the executive level and just happened to have a passion for real estate investing. And as far as why, I mean, quite frankly, I wanted a way to invest something I was interested in doing instead of just throwing money at stocks or mutual funds. I wanted to pick something I was interested in. And from an early age, I've always had an in, you know interest in real estate. And uh, as you probably read from my bio, it started with my first home. I started house hacking that. No one called it that at that point back in the mid 2000s or 2006, seven, whatever it was. And, uh, you know, kind of saw the potential of, okay, this is, you know, half a house I'm renting and it's starting to pay most of my mortgage. I should start extrapolating, you know, and that's the next couple of decades where, you know, series of, it started out with experiments into something more professional and became a career of mine now in the multifamily space. I think that that's so important for listeners to understand is like, you know, everybody starts with one investment, mm-hmm. right? No, everybody yeah. comes into it not owning any real estate investments other than their personal home. And mm-hmm. it could be somebody dives right into multifamily. It could be somebody that house acts like yeah. yourself or buys a single family house for a rental or a duplex, but they have to get their first one. So now what happens after, first of all, I guess, share with the listeners, what is a house hack? And then what happens to you after you do that first one? You said, I've started looking for others. I think, you know, for most people, it's either going to spark the addiction or it's you're going to completely shy away. So <laughs> just to back up to your first question, uh, you know, the house hack. And again, I don't think anybody even called this back in 2007 or six, whatever the year was. But it's when you're, you buy a house, you're living in part of it, and you're renting another part of it. So at the time I was in management consulting, I was on the road 50 weeks a year. And I had a three bedroom house, wasn't married at the time. My girlfriend at the time would come visit on the weekends, but I was leaving it vacant during the week. And I found a gentleman who was doing the opposite. He was in consulting in the Delaware area. So he'd come up and use my house and we'd cross paths on Thursday night. So for me, it was a natural free way to, to utilize that dead space in my house. And a lot of people were doing it. It could be a single family home. It could be a duplex, a triplex. You live in one side, rent out the other. And for me, it really got the wheels turning. It, back in the day, this was, you know, Craigslist sourcing. I just wrote an ad, took me an hour, interviewed a few people, found somebody. I'm like, oh my God, that was, that was easier than I thought it would be. And on an ongoing basis, there was no real management because again, we just kind of crossed paths from time to time. So that was like, wow, this could be something much bigger down the line. Yeah, that's, that's huge. And, you know, I think that, um, I think people get caught up that they can't do it in it and it's, you know, I've heard many stories where they become accidental investors, right? They bought a townhome yep. in, you know, in the East, and then all of a sudden they got relocated and it was a bad time to sell, so they rented it. And then all of a sudden they see the positive cash flow and they're yep. like, holy cow, I can do this. So I saw, we're going to talk more about large-scale multifamily, but, but I do wanted to share. Yeah. So I listened to a podcast and I thought, man, I wish I had done that. And I've told my kids... Look, you're a first-time home buyer once, right? You get that three and a half percent FHA loan. And maybe, maybe still. I'm not sure. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe not. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I, I heard this said, and I was like, that makes a lot of sense. Like, rather than go yeah. out and buy your first home, buy a duplex or a threeplex or a fourplex, live in the unit, one unit for, and you only have to live in it for a year, 
and you only put three and a half percent down and then you can move someplace else after the year and you have your yeah. first investment property. And then even if you don't do anything more than that, you can kind of roll the gains of that into a 1031 yeah. and keep, you know, expanding that. So, you know, for people that haven't bought their first home, you know, that's something to consider for sure. I agree. And what I love about that is really anybody can do it, right? You don't need hundreds of thousands of dollars. You don't need to do some special qualification to be an accredited investor. It's just literally accessible to anybody with a job, which is awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and um, you know, you guys were crossing paths in the house hacking, but there, you know, there are some people that maybe they own a house and they have yeah. two empty bedrooms and then they rent out, you know, one or two of those bedrooms. And then it's just the power of once you see it, then it gets your mind thinking of other things. So now you, you do that deal and it starts sparking your interest to do more. How does yeah. that go in your head? You know, what I love, I'll go back to it, something that came to mind as you were talking too. I hope you don't mind me diverting. No, I, but I have a buddy I of mine who's a cop. You know, I'd say the odds are against him, right? Four kids, you know, crammed household, doesn't have a ton of extra money to invest. I had a lunch conversation with him maybe a year ago. He's like, man, I really got to buy my first property. And it was really the power of that first deal. Bought a, I think it was a duplex, rehabbed it, bird. You know, less than nine months later, already he's on his second property. Now a mixed commercial use. It's just awesome to see that first property. That's my favorite thing, talking to somebody about and seeing that first deal come to life and really how meaningful that is and how much it really builds momentum. Yeah, I mean, the momentum is huge because once you do it, then you start thinking about other things that you would never even have thought of yeah. had you not done that first one. Correct, correct. So it doesn't really matter that what it is, mm. it's gonna it's gonna spark the imagination. And Absolutely. It's gonna, and it's gonna give you the confidence to go out and do more. Absolutely. So, all right. Um, you're a tech guy. And, well, let's talk about how, I mean, you're, you're doing your own deals. You're also a GP in deals um, on the large-scale multifamily side. But you're a CIO of a, of a large technology company. And yep. there's a lot of, you know, look, there's a lot of excuses out there on why people can't get started. They don't have the money. They're too young. They're too old. Yep. They're too busy. So, look, you're a busy guy. Like, how do you do it? Look, I'll, I'll, I always say this when this question is asked. There's no magic bullet, right? But I will say if you've got a reason and the reason is strong enough, you'll find a way. I've got two kids. My wife works just as hard, if not harder, than I do. Uh, time is limited, right? So I, you know, when I started out in the multifamily space a couple of years back and I started the business and really started to make this a bigger thing than just, Hey, buying a couple of houses here and there, or a short term rental, it really became, what's my role going to be. And then it, it, it took me some time to reconcile, well, like not wanting, you know, wanting to do everything, find deals, talk to brokers on a budget of probably 15 hours a week. That was a recipe for failure. So my biggest lesson learned, if I could, you know, rewind back two years from now is just pick one role, right? Like if you've got, if you're already working 50 hours a week or traveling or have kids or limited money, whatever your limitation is, like pick one role, one way to add value instead of trying to do everything. I, you know, as time expands as, you know, maybe I back off the corporate career at some point, then I'll expand again. But I think the biggest thing for me has just been the importance of focus and just dialing into that one role. And for me, I really like doing the, and talking to people, I'm a relationship person above all, Despite my technical background, I really like to enjoy working with people, talking about real estate, talking about deals, pitching deals, and working with investors, doing the relations aspect. So I really enjoy that part of it. 
So you've, you picked one role and you focused on the investor relations and, and bringing new investors into deals. That's Is correct. That the, that's the role. Yeah. You it, it took me time to realize that's really, I had the time and that was the best use of my time hour for hour over a while. But I, I do think I'll expand into the acquisition space as if, and when time permits, I'll have to make time. But Another part too of that is, is just being really smart about how you use your time, right? Like I said, if you have a budget of, okay, you know, day by day, Monday through Friday, I have, you know, the first hour or two of my day is my time for real estate and research and, you know, education. And then Saturday and Sunday mornings, I've got a couple more hours there. How do I really use that wisely? So you really got to trim out if there, if there is any fat in your schedule. And I think everybody has fat in their schedule, let's be honest. Uh, figuring out what makes sense, right? For me, it's it's that those uninterrupted 5 a.m. to 7 a.m. windows I get on the weekends a lot of times or in the same on the weekdays or maybe an hour before the kids go to bed. Everybody's going to have a schedule that works for them. And it's it's too stressful trying to do everything at the same time. I found it helpful to carve out those dedicated times per day on the weekdays and weekends. And that's when you really got to just kind of be grinding, right? It's There's not a lot of, not a lot of, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of room for, you know, inefficiency there, right? Yeah. Well, you know what, if you have a day, you know, full-time day job, that's, those are the hours that you have available to you, right? right? Are the, are the evenings and the weekends and, you know, you have to sacrifice or you have to have discipline today so that you can succeed in the future. And I, you know, I know two guys that are super successful, um, came together and, you know, in the beginning they both had corporate jobs and, They were underwriting deals at night and having, you know, phone conversations at night. And then on the weekends, they were going and doing property tours and, and, you know, they had to sacrifice, you know, in the, in in the beginning. So, but they, they also were family men. So they would block out, they'd work till five or six and then they'd have dinner and, you know, put the kids to bed at nine. And then they, and, but they, what they carved out was, you know, their Netflix time. Yes. You know, they carved out their, they stopped watching TV and they started to, you know, focus in on real estate investing because it was important to them. It was important because they wanted to provide for their family in the future, but they also wanted freedom of their time and freedom of money um, in the future as well. I think it's important to know your non-negotiables too, right? You know, for me, health and family, they're off the table, right? Like I can't, and I honestly, I need to go back and audit my own, my own behaviors from time to time to make sure I'm not, just because it happens, right? I mean, we're all human and yeah. Hey, I you get really into something and I'm, you know, I'm kind of pushing the kids off. I'll play cards with you later or play a game with you later. I'm like, Oh crap. I that was, that was kind even of if fun. you're in the same room. Right. So my problem sometimes is like my head is somewhere else. The, I'm thinking yes. of different business problems. Yes. And how to yeah, solve you're 100% them. Right. Even yeah. if I'm in the same room. Yeah, it's it's the awareness, it's it's paying attention to the right thing, it's being present, right? That's the word I was searching for in my mind as you were talking. But yeah, the presence yeah. is all it's all about it. And I, I don't get me wrong, we all struggle with that. I am a hundred percent offender of that from time to time. And I my wife will usually do a good job of calling me out on that. So I'm pretty lucky there. <laughs> That's awesome. <clears throat> so your background IT systems, um, you know, I've met a lot of engineers that have been in the multifamily space. Uh, Software engineers, as well as, oh, yeah. you know, uh, other, other types of engineers, um, problem solvers. Like, so how does your corporate background help you in, you know, the multifamily space? 
So, yeah, it's funny. I think about that all the time. As, as time goes by, you pick up more and more skills. I think there's a lot more transference for all of us than you think there is, right? And it could be as simple as, hey, I'm pitching in investor presentations for work or I'm pitching an idea or a project. Like that's, you know, that's, that's part of it. There's the technical aspect of it. Like, hey, I can set up a portal in my sleep. I can do things you take for granted. There's a lot of team members out there that are needing help in that area, right? So it could be standing up a website, setting up a portal, you know, setting up a workflow system for uh, confirming reservations for a deal. There's a lot of, you know, beyond the technical, there's a lot of soft skills that we take for granted, right? If you're, if you're used to being in front of a C-suite or pitching an idea or a project or, or managing a multi-million dollar budget, all those things, you know, for me, they're just, I routed off a few that come to mind, but I think if anybody is really honest with themselves, you inventory what you've done, you might think, oh, what am I going to add? There's a lot of things that you learn in the corporate space that are, are directly transferable, whether it be having a finance guy, I'm in spreadsheets and that's underwriting or it's budget management, like a lot of stuff I do, or even building a team, right? Like a lot of us run large teams. You take for granted that I build, hire, retain, and develop talent. You know, you can't take that for granted either. So there, no, there's a few huge. things that come to mind that uh, we do on a day-to-day basis that I think we take for granted, to be honest. Absolutely. So yeah. let's talk about the team. I mean, you know, if how you interact with your team and how do you motivate your team, the team members don't necessarily always have to be employees of your company they could be like the third you know you may hire a third-party property management company but you know you have an on-site leasing person that the success of the property and the returns to investors and your reputation is a lot dependent on how they perform and so you may have a weekly call with them you know how how do you communicate with them you know (laughs) Yes. So yes. explain explain how you take that to that weekly call and how you um, you treat so them with we, respect, but you know I you think still it goes it goes back further than that too. Actually, we we just switched PMs, and again, another thing I think is transferable from the corporate world is screening for talent. Right, you get pretty good. You do. I don't know, anywhere for me, maybe five interviews a week or 10 sometimes on a busy week on average five. Right. So you get really good at reading people and, you know, reading between the lines and the soft skills of things. And like when you're interviewing property managers, you're interviewing even brokers to list your property, you can quickly kind of get a, you know, I think within five minutes you can pick up on, is this person going to be a fit? And then of course, in the weekly meetings, you're asking the right questions. You're diving into, Hey, are you doing what you should be doing? If you have to make a correction, again, you make, you're making that adjustment quickly and not waiting months and months and months for it to get worse. So it's just all about open communication, the consistency of communication and having the right consistent questions from, from week to week. Yeah, I, I heard this from somebody that uh, was on the asset management side that worked for a large uh, apartment owner and I, it just cemented in my head that, you know, look, there's you can nitpick and there's a lot of things that you can bring up in that weekly call. Yes. Right. And, but that person only can focus on certain things in the next five days. And so, you know, for you to bring up the top two or three or, you know, things for them to really focus on. And even though you have a laundry list of 12 or 15 items, you can't bring those up because they may go and check those boxes off and they don't have as much impact on the bottom line. 
You're absolutely right. I think we come to these calls sometimes, oh, the mailbox is going to be painted and we got to do this landscaping. And there's a couple pieces of mulch on the sidewalk and pressure washing, but really, hey, occupancy, that's the focus, right? Delinquency, if you've got collections challenges for like in one of our properties, we're working on that. Those two things are the most important. The other stuff, after we sort that, after we get above 95%, then we'll go back to the mailboxes and paint those, right? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> yes. Hey, you talked about, um, you know, your focus as a co-sponsor and, um, and the value that you bring to others. I think it's important that people understand. You said something else. You said everyone has value to, yes. to bring, you know, and, and some people discount the value that they have. Um, but I think you also have to tell people what you want to do and you are going to get some overlap. So you're going to get some no's, you know, and you have to be okay with that. Like if you go to somebody, another GP and they're really strong in raising capital, they're like, Andrew, man, you're a good guy, but like, I don't need you. I need, I need somebody. Yeah, it's got to be a fit. You know, it's not personal. I always say to, you know, I'm sure you have in the same position. You might make it a habit to connect with four or five, six people a week, whatever it winds up being, two people on a slower week. And and it's kind of like speed dating. It's like, hey, here's what I have to offer. Here's what's on the menu. Here are my needs. And it's a lot of times it's not a fit. And that's okay. Like, that's right. fine. You just keep firing away. And like, eventually someone will need an asset manager. Or someone will need, hey, I know everybody has underwriting. Like, no, somebody's going to need an underwriter. They don't enjoy doing that, or they might be half good at it, but not as good as you are, right? So it's a, it's a competency and bandwidth thing, right? I think I look for those two things. Like can, can I do it? You know, do I enjoy doing it? And then do I really have time to do everything? Can I do it as well as someone else would do? And I, I think you need to be willing to let other, others in and split a piece of the pie. And I think you can go, only go faster and farther that way. So Yeah, absolutely. And when you get that call, you got to look at your bandwidth because yes. you're like you might get four calls to work on a deal for the next yes. you know month and like you can't do it you yeah. know so even though you like the guys and you like the opportunity and the property and the location and all that like some yeah. of that you have to say no to uh, and that's think it's a thing I mean there's a, a famous quote I think it was from Warren Buffett was saying you know how did you become they asked him how did you become so successful what's the key to success and I think his answer one of the answers was uh, yeah I learned how to say no to most things right or I say no to the majority of things that could present myself because I think that's when you know you're starting to get traction you need to really pull back and if you've got you know eyes bigger than your stomachs, like a lot of us do sometimes, you really got to take, think about what's, is this really the best use to my next month? Like, like you said, once you commit to a deal, I don't do anything else. Like that's right. my, exactly. my fault. I don't do three at a time. I just don't see, I, I don't, I like to focus on one thing. So that's it. You're, you're now closing off, you know, October, November or whatever the timing might be. Right. So it's just important to think of it that way. Uh, absolutely. So, um, the, you know, the other thing is, we, we kind of talked about it, but is, is tell people what you do because look, you know, if you don't get out there and tell people, they are not going to come knocking on your door, you know, whatever role you play. So whether you're, you know, on the investor side or on the acquisition side or whatever the case may be, you will not find partners. You will not find investors if you don't put yourself out there and Correct. let people know what you're doing. Constantly, right? It's, it's consistent. So talk about how you have, you know, built an investor base and how you nurture that investor base. So, 
And probably one of the most common questions I like I like to talk about too is you know we st- everybody starts with they, who they know and their immediate circle right so friends and family and again another benefit of the corporate connection is the extensive network you've built through you know again being 20 years in the industry you're working with potentially some high net worth individuals some C-suite individuals and you know they learn what you're doing they tell their friends and it's been a lot of in the beginning word of mouth. And in the last, I'd say six months, you know, you kind of run out of bandwidth that way, right? You ask for referrals and, and, you know, former investors and it starts to spiral from there. But I also started to make a more conscious effort of having a better social media presence. So hiring a social media manager, even if you start small there and, and posting consistently and just getting information out and just generating more and more leads. So I think the friends and family's sphere can only take you so far, even with referrals, like that was a great foundation and then it's just been a matter of like, how can I connect with the unknown unknowns, right? How do I get my name out there in the social media? How do I, you know, set myself apart from the hundreds of other firms out there? So I started thinking about that way and then really getting crisp on who do I want is my, my ideal investor, what they call the investor avatar, right? So what do they look like? Where do they shop? What do they do? Where do they hang out? What TV do they watch? What, what social media platforms they are? What do they want to know? What's on their mind, right? Are they thinking about the recession or are they thinking about how do I... Is my 401k going up or down? How do I diversify? Like I'm trying to anticipate people like me in similar situations that just want a, want a different alternate investment vehicle, right? Which happens to be my specialty. Man, I, I love that. I love, I love that you said, mm. who do I want? Yeah. You know, because I've asked some syndicators that have done lots of deals and I'm like, yeah. hey, when you have a new deal, are there any passive investors that you don't send it to. And yeah. they're like, they all look at each other. You know, maybe I'm playing golf with a bunch of them and they yeah. all look at each other and they're like, absolutely. And you know what? Yeah. Just like they get to pick the syndicators they work with. Yeah. You know, when you're building a syndication business, you get to choose the people you want to do business with. Oh, yeah. And, you know, and, you know, so there could be some passive investors that, you know what, for one reason or another, they, you just don't click with them. And, and, you know, you get to a certain point where you move on and you work with other people, you know? I think it's a matter of, you know, being, the more deals you do, of course, we all learn as we go, right? And the more I, the more deals I do, the one biggest takeaway I have is I think what really separates, what, the way I like to work, which I think is different than a lot of others, I really try to listen to what they want to do. And I'd say maybe a third or more of the time, I'm like, I don't know if what we're offering right now is right for where you are in your life, or at least not this year, right? Because a lot of guys like, hey, I'm scraping together money, like, but I'm about to put my kids through college. I'm like, if you need the money in the next year, like, it's not always the right fit. So I think they really appreciate, I'm like, not right now, like maybe keep us in mind, but like when they, when I, when I, when I hear, they hear me say no to them or not right now, it's almost like, oh, I didn't expect, I expected you to kind of push me on something or sell me on something. And that's not my intention at all. It's like, We've got options. I like to educate you. And hey, if it's not it's not right for you right now, that's per- totally fine. And you know what? Maybe their neighbor or friend wants to invest and maybe it is right for them. So there's always value in conversation. They appreciate the advice. They appreciate the time I spend and a general, con- you know, a genuine connection with them, regardless if it's a fit. But I'd say a lot of times it's not right now, right? And that's okay. Like people will need to be okay with, it's not rejection. It's just like, right. again, kind of like finding partners, finding investors is the same situation for me. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. and you, but spending the time with them, because I've spent a lot of time with, with different people that yes. 
yes. have not invested or um, yeah. you know want to do want to go down the GP route and they haven't bought anything yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I think that that's a huge joy in life is that you know you're planting seeds. Yes, and you know I may plant the seed and then. You know, Andrew may end up having the opportunity at the right time, that right fit, and and they exactly. end up doing it. But you know, they needed to go through that process. You know, yes. they needed to hear it three times, five times. And to me, that's what times. kind of makes this fun, right? I mean, yeah. it's not all just like working with the brokers and put numbers in a spreadsheet. This is a people business, right? Like we happen to buy property and the property benefits people. It's people in, people out. I mean, that's all part of the journey. And I think that's what makes it fun, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. So- I, it's uh, so funny. So like it is, I mean, it's people, all the tenants and the, at the property, all the investors. Um, I think I probably side more on the, on the investor side and, in, in helping grow people's wealth. And yeah. I know people that just have such a heart for, um, the tenants and building a community, you know, at the properties that, you know, they're giving out, you know, backpacks yeah. and, yeah. and different things, you know, to, you know, to the kids. And I, I think that's fantastic. Um, yes. There's so Absolutely. many opportunities to really touch lives in this business for sure. Absolutely. So what makes you different than the next guy doing this? You know, like I said, we, we all have unique ways of adding value. Um, I think my perspective is I, I carry with this going in with a, at the, I'm a technical person first with a mindset of I'm a corporate professional and I like to, I like to be able to relate to people that are investing with or investing alongside us. And, you know, I've spent, like I said, 20 years, uh, building a career and proud of what I'm done. And I'm, I'm a love, love spreading the passion that I built through this. And I love kind of generating that same energy and in investors and potential other GPs as well. Right. So I think I bring a unique perspective about that technical background, the corporate background, with a pretty much 20 plus year history in real estate. So I think that unique combination, balancing the jobs, I, I wouldn't get that if I was just doing the real estate thing full time, It's just a unique relatability. Yeah. And, you know, in the syndication space, what's very cool is if you're an LP mm-hmm. and you invest in one of Andrew's deals, like you can call Andrew up, you know, yep. what's going on? What's going on with the deal? Like you just don't get that access when you're, investing in Amazon stock, you know, no, it's just, we're, we're a REIT, right? Like a lot of people, right. like my, my neighbor asked me the other day, like, how is, you know, is this similar to, a, to an REIT or a REIT with Vanguard or another firm? And I'm like, I kind of explained, like when you're doing that, you're, you own a fraction of a share and the structure is entirely different. You don't get, you know, weekly or monthly communications. You don't really get pictures. You don't never get pictures of a property or like really see who you're impacting and what changes you're making. And the return structure looks a lot different. So get and, that a lot. And depreciation doesn't get allocated to, to you as, as the investor. So that, that's, a, yeah, huge, that's, a, that's a big, big, big impact as well. Absolutely. So when, let's go back to like when you were a kid, like did you mm-hmm. know that you were going to be successful? No, absolutely not. So my, uh, my child, you know, it's funny because it's on the technical side, on the tech side of things, that that, that was a given, right? From the time I was five or six, I got my first computer. It was an IBM 8088, big floppy disk. When you were five, you were on a computer? I I learned to type in, I think it was either kindergarten or first grade. Everybody calls BS on that, but ask my mom. She's like, this is crazy. Like I was fixing all the neighbor's computers when I was like seven or eight years old, right? A little bit after that. 
So that was clear, yeah, but I didn't know what I was going to do with that. I was like, I thank God I didn't wind up in like a tech support role for my whole life. That's not a successful career. I sure as heck didn't know I'd be in real estate. I knew that I enjoyed playing Monopoly. It was my favorite game growing up. Um, probably like many others you get on the show. I think everybody says that, but uh, genuinely I could play that for hours on end. Had no idea what that was going to mean for me. Uh, my first exposure to something more than just living in a house or a rental property, my grandfather had... He had a few, he did some development work and I kind of watched him do that. And it was interesting to me. He didn't have me really hooked at a younger age, but he started managing a, I think it was a quadplex at the time. When I started to get older, I started cutting the lawn at that property. My dad would do the maintenance. I'm like, oh, this is pretty cool. And I watch him go pick up the check every month. I'm like, okay. So I think that that had something to do with it. I didn't realize it at the time. And maybe I came back to that once I graduated college and I'm like, hmm. Maybe I should, maybe my grandfather was onto something and uh, maybe I won't follow the exact same path, but it definitely sparked an interest in my brain. That's interesting. There's, a, there's been a number of people that I've interviewed that have said that their parents, you know, worked jobs, but then on the side they had, yeah. you know, just some, some rental biz, uh, you know, houses or duplexes. Um, back then it didn't seem like the, you know, the common person was able to get into like these large deals that we talk about now uh, with these syndications. But that kind of sparked something in them that, hey, look, my parents, they're working, but they're also doing this other thing that brings in income, you know, and, and what is that all about? And, you know, you hear about having, you know, building multiple income streams, right? And, you know, you, you have, most of us are just taught to go to school, get good grades, go to college, get good grades, get a good job, climb the corporate ladder. You have one income stream. Yeah. You know, put some money in stocks. It's going to grow into this big nest egg. Um, and then if you decide to leave or the company decides to, you know, let that's you it. go, that's it. There's that's no, it. There's, there's no remaining value, you know? Nope. Um, yeah, it doesn't, doesn't leave a lot of options, right, for flexibility there. Right, exactly. So I think that when you start seeing that, you know, the power of, hey, this is, could be another revenue stream. And, and then it's, you know, what I see in people is they get to a certain point where they, they can see the light at the end of the tunnel. They're, you know, maybe they're in a career path that they, you enjoy your career path, but there's a lot of people in America that don't like what they're doing. Well, I mean, the thing is too, like you enjoy it, but like you, like you hit on this a little bit, a couple sentences ago where you can't control your entire destiny, right? You may love what you do. You may love your team. You, you, you love the, let's say 90% of the engagement you really enjoy, but C-suite changes hands, right? And that guy brings right. in, or a gal brings in his or her new leadership team. It may not be a good fit for you or for them anymore. And that could happen in six months like or that. nine months, right? So, and then, yeah, then you're looking for another job or you're looking for something else or whatever it may be. I just like the idea of having options, right? Like maybe I don't have to rush back another job or another job at all, right? But if you don't take any action, 99% of us outside of the CEO and CFO are going to need to work or some source of income, right? And the, the probability of landing that job is like one in 50,000, right? So what can you do if you don't want to live the life of an average person? And I know I didn't. That was one of my biggest whys. It was like, I wanted to do something different, something I was really passionate about. And I wanted something that's going to open windows and options for me. And if you don't take action there, then you, you know your defined path, right? 
I, I love when you said taking action. So what can people do to take action? You know, for me, it, start, it started with education and everybody's inspired in different ways, whether it's, you know, listening to other stories on a podcast like this great show, right? Or reading a book or people learn in different ways. Uh, it could be just learning what you need to do, right? So it's, it's reading a book about your, your passion or energy, whether it's investing or starting a business or, you know, starting a bakery, whatever it may be, you got to learn what you don't know first and le- learn what to do and then start to create a plan. Yeah. Um, I, I love that too. I think education, you know, whether it's podcasts, books, yeah. blogs, whatever. Yeah. Um, but then some people stop there, you know, yeah. some people, they get very educated, but they're scared to go out. And like in this business, you, you have to go out, you know, you have to go meet people. And that's the thing. It's, you know, education without action leaves you with being a professor, right? You're, you're a master of all the knowledge, but you're not really ready to act. And I think going out and taking action without education is just reckless, right? You don't know what you're getting into. You don't, you're not looking at the risks. So it's a combination of those two things. And, and not everybody is equally motivated. I'm fortunate that I'm fairly self-motivated. But if you're the type of individual that's not, then we damn sure better pair up with somebody or a group that is, right? There could be a mastermind group, an accountability group joining a local meetup and showing up regularly, having a one-on-one coaching call with, with a mentor or a coach weekly, you know, whatever it takes. If you're not the type of person, you know who you are out there that you want to take action on your own and find someone else who will hold your feet to the fire is my, my advice. Yeah, that, that's great. And, um, but even joining that group, you know, people are scared, yeah. you know, right. like, yeah. you know, um, so, you know, I'd say, look, you, We've all gone through times that we've been scared, that we are yeah. fearful, but you have to push past that fear. I mean, like, look, you, you can go to a free meetup group in your, in your market, you know, just type in multifamily investing or apartment investing in, yeah. in the, the app meetup. Yep. And go and meet people that are passive investors, meet people that are syndicating deals, um, learn something. And, but that's scary. I remember the first time I went to one, I was like, oh man, all these people are going to know so much more about real estate investing than me. Like, you know, and, but you realize they all walked in that door. 100%. You know, for the first time at some point. And they are willing to help the next guy. Absolutely. Everybody was there where we were, right? Uh, You know, year ago, a month ago, 10 years ago, it's everybody had to go through that learning uh, path. So you're absolutely right. Yeah. And so for me, it was a duplex four years ago. And, you know, if you would ask me like, oh, you, you're going to buy a duplex and then buy a 76 unit and then be co-GP on 200 plus unit deals and start a podcast and write a book. I'm like, no, I wouldn't have thought any of those things, you know, but you got to go out and do that first thing, do the first thing. So, Oh man. Um, talk about why multifamily, like there's a lot of different asset classes. So in real estate, you've got, um, single family, there's people that are killing it, killing it cash flow wise. And, uh, with Airbnbs, um, uh, there's office, there's self-storage, there's, you know, retail, why multifamily? Yeah. So a couple things for me, and I may, I may not give you the traditional answer that you're used to hearing here, but for me, number one, I've explored different options, right? So I'd say it was a bit of a trial and error process for me. I, I mentioned back to that house hack and I thought, oh, cool. I'm just going to buy the whole block and rent these all out and live off the money. 
And then I realized that it's got to be a fit for, you got to be able to have your own money to invest with that path. And you can only go so fast. And you start to chart that out. And I was like, okay, if I want to have flexibility by the time I'm 50, this ain't going to work, right? It's just that the math wasn't going to work out. The scalability wasn't going to work out without injecting another source of capital or having a property manager oversee it. As soon as I did that, it was like strike three. Like the cash flow was, was eaten up or it would just for, to simply take too long. I did experiment. I still own short-term rentals. And they're actually you know, a fun source of uh, you know, diversification for investment. But again, same thing, like in, in our area, in my area where I'm investing in the short-term stuff in Jersey and looking in at Florida now, you need a sizable chunk of capital to close on each property. And again, 10, 20 years out, you're going to improve and it's going to be fun. You're going to learn the process, but that does not get you where you need to be. So that kind of brings me to multifamily. And it was quite simply a great way and the fastest way to scale for my investors and for me into where I wanted to be. And that's, let's say the five to 10 year time frame, right? So from there I can, I can fill a role. It worked well with the balancing this, this job. I'm not property managing properties, not talking to brokers. It was just, I'm able to do a very distinct role and then scale that to hundreds and thousands of units, right? So the scale factor was there. It worked well with our lifestyle is something I enjoy doing. And I really enjoy the teamwork aspect of it, which you didn't see much of that. It's a lot more, it's dare, dare I say cutthroat in the single family world. You know, uh, I've heard, I've heard that I'd never invested know? single family, but I've heard yeah. that it's like, it's, it's not very collaborative and it's very cutthroat in the single family it's, world. And I'm a, I'm a relationship person. So it was a, just for me personally, the multifamily space was an awesome fit because there's a lot of great people out there. There are more good people than bad people. And uh, I like playing the team role. Hey, you're a defense guy, you're an offense guy, and uh, it works well together. Yeah, that's, that's huge. So, you know, talk about scale. Like I'll, I'll just give an example that, you know, duplex, my wife and I put in like 50,000. We got a loan yeah. for the, the rest. Um, then I went from a duplex to 76 units and my wife and I put in a hundred thousand. Yeah. So going from a duplex to 76 yeah. units, like 50,000 to a hundred thousand. Yeah. Like that, that is incredible that you can do that. And so how do you do that? Well, you're leveraging, you know, you're getting a large loan, you get, you're leveraging, you know, bringing in other investors, um, other partners, and all of a sudden you you know, you're part owner in a much larger deal. And, you know, the upside, so people say, well, how does that work? Like, well, if you buy $10,000 worth of Amazon stock to double your money, you, that has to go to valuation, has to double, right? To get to 20,000. But it doesn't work like that in multifamily. I mean, you can buy a $10 million building and between the, you know, the, the loan say is, 70% of that. And so that's 7 million. So maybe you bring 3 million of equity plus maybe another million of rehab, right. 4 million. So if you sell that for 14 million, you know, did I get that math right? So uh, 15 million, if you, yeah. if you sell it for 15 million, so it's only going up by half the, the value, but you've doubled investors equity, you know, yeah. and that is amazing. the power, you know, it's amazing. It's, it is, it's, it's amazing. So what's your take on financing? Does that have, you know, we have rising interest rates now. We have rising inflation. Yeah. Um, so what's your take on that? What are your investors' uh, worries, concerns? Um, 
Yeah, I, I'd say I take a fairly conservative position. I think we talked about this recently on the phone with uh, with our South Carolina deal. I'm a big fan in this environment of fixed rate debt. Or if it's going to be a bridge loan, it's got to be a rate cap. And the numbers have to work with either one of those scenarios. Bottom line, I'm not okay with floating something. The uncertainty out there is just is just massive right now. So it's just very simple for me. I'm fairly conservative really like fixed rate debt. And if it can't work with that, unless it's a very unique property with like very little occupancy or something, uh, it's the deal won't work possibly. I mean, I'm, it's that simple for me. So I just, again, I've seen too much, been around the 2008, 2009 days. It's got to work with, uh, with something locked in. I mean, there's, we're looking at another potential 75 to 150 basis points in the next month here. Uh, we're already seeing rates, I'm sure you are too, in the 6 and 7% range or higher in certain areas in tertiary and secondary markets. I'm, very, I'm just conservative and there's nothing else to be said there. So <laughs> I know my investors appreciate that. A lot of them are in the same position like, hey, I'd rather take a little less return and lock in a lower rate. So I think almost everybody's aligned with that position. Yeah, I, I think that, um, you know, getting into the space in the education standpoint, Look, as a limited partner, when you see a deal, I highly encourage you to ask the sponsor what type of loan they're putting on the deal. Sometimes yeah. it's going to be in the investment deck, but sometimes it's not, you know, and you have to actually ask. And so, you know, be focused on not not only the rate, but also the term. Yeah. So when does oh, the yeah. loan come due? Because there's not, you know, on a on your home, you get a 30-year fixed rate loan, but on these large multifamily deals, you can't do that. So make yep. sure you ask and understand that. Um, yeah, another, another big piece of that is, is, is there a prepayment penalty, right? A lot of especially fixed rate debt can carry, you know, if you exit and let's say the market goes really well and you want to exit in a year or two, well, your prepayment penalty may be a heavy penalty in the, in the areas of millions of dollars. So that's something else to consider and look at for sure. Yeah, and that, that's why a lot of people went to floating because they were all doing yeah. fixed rate and then rates went down. When rates go down, that actually makes your prepayment penalty typically go up. Um, yep. So based on the, the written uh, legal documents. So, you know, now you've got great valuation. Everyone's like, why aren't we selling? You know, yeah. we're, we, you know our property's worth yeah. so much more. And the problem is, is that, the syndicator feels like they're in jail because yes. half of their gains would go to prepayment penalty. So then every, everybody moves to floating and then floating rate deals happen. And then all of a sudden you get inflation and we're in the position we're in now. So it um, seems like a lot of people are getting creative with assumptions now for the same reason. Like, Hey, I'm locked in at a really low rate. I might have a prepayment penalty, but I might be able to transfer that sub 4% loan to a new buyer and it becomes a lot more attractive than that scenario. Usually assumptions were looked at historically in like a negative sense of like, I don't want somebody else's debt. That's not going to work. But in today's environment, it becomes a lot more attractive when current rates are two, three, four percent above that with the locked in rate from prior. So yeah, that's, that's a great point. A lot uh, assumptions are, are definitely, you know, yeah more of a plus now than, than they yeah. were before, not, for sure. Not dirty laundry anymore, you know? Right. Exactly. Exactly. So talk mindset, because look, if you don't believe that you can achieve something, you're just not. So talk about how you, how you expand your mindset. You know, I, I think that's number one, 
probably the biggest thing that holds people back or makes them successful, right? We all come with very similar, you know, I shouldn't say similar, different, but sometimes equal uh, abilities, right? I have a lot of friends that are super, way smarter than me. I'm going to have PhDs or advanced degrees from uh, Ivy League schools. It's not just about that, right? Yeah, you, you got to be competent. You got to be intelligent. But I think the one thing that really sets people apart is their mindset, right? Their desire to seed and just staying mentally conditioned all the time. You know, for example, like not everybody, even me, I'm sure you as well, we struggle sometimes, right? Like even this morning I woke up and I'm like, just not feeling it today. I don't feel like, I don't feel that same jolt that I normally do. And it doesn't happen to everybody. You sound, you, hey, you faked it well because you, you sound good on the show here. Well, what I was going to say though, is it, it kind of changed. So I started a new book uh, at, set, you know, six o'clock this morning. I was like, okay, I took a couple of days off, wrapped up another book. I wasn't feeling that one. I was like, it, very, very infrequently, I don't finish a book. And it was just, well, I wasn't feeling it. And I feel like that threw me off. And I was traveling last week. I was tired and I was like, I got to bounce back. So I started this new book and about after reading the first 10 pages, I'm like, and it had nothing to do with investing real estate or my tech job. It was just generally around like uh, financial investing. And I don't know what it was, but I'm like, it's back. I feel it again. And I, I, I needed to condition my mind. And as soon as I broke out of my routine, my habits and traveling threw me off, I'm like, man, I just feel like I'm struggling. And then it just kind of started to come back. So it's all, for me, it's all about just, you know, getting routine, dialing in, whatever works for you is going to be different for everybody. And sticking to that and knowing when to call yourself out to get back to your habits that work, you know? Yeah. And look, and your mindset can be, people are like, why go to conferences? Like you're reading a book that maybe is not about your career or about real estate yeah. investing. And, and like, why read that book or why go to a conference that isn't related to that? Or, um, yeah. well, it's because you may walk away with some idea or some mm -hmm. energy or that you can do something different. I, I talked to somebody that said they went to a Tony Robbins event and I, I haven't been to any Tony Robbins events. Um, you know, I've heard people come back and say amazing things, but yeah. she, she said she went and she was a little reluctant. And she yeah. said within the first 15 minutes, like really, he expanded her mindset so much that, and she, after she left, she'd like changed a lot of different things. And now she's like, uh, you know, big time in, in the multifamily investing world. She never thought she would have ever been there. Um, she was not, she was an artist, you know, like it was like completely out of her realm, but you know, having that mindset and it expands. Yeah. Just like when we talked about, you know, your first investment, mine was a duplex, yours was a house hack, and here we are doing 200 unit plus deals. Um, but it doesn't happen right away. It, you, yeah. you expand that mindset that you believe, oh, I can do, you know, I did that, now I can do this. And I think it's just, we all, we all go through tough times, right? Whether it's physical, it's mental, it's spiritual, whatever it may be. And I think just getting through those humps is what's going to separate the, as they say, the men from the boys or the women from the ladies, whatever it may be. Uh, you got to be able to get through this tough times, right? And I think the one thing that carries you through is that energy and that purpose. And a lot of it comes back to mindset for me. Simple yeah, as that. And, and I think meeting other people, like, you know, look, if you get out there and you meet a lot of other people that have yeah. gone through it and have been successful, it, I think it does a number of different things. One, you see, all right, these people are smart, but they're, look, I'm smart too, and I could do it. Yeah. Um, so it gives you that. And then two, 
you know, they'll share their war stories. Like, look, yeah, I had a bunch Relatable. of deals yeah. that didn't happen. And then so when that happens to you, you're like, oh, it's not just me. Like, this is part of right. the it's, process. It's relatability, right? It's just, it, you build a lot of energy from that, for sure. Absolutely. So um, talk about perseverance and determination, because, look, you get into the business, you want to do certain things, and people don't just knock on your door and hand you the deal. I like to go into these, these type situations, whether it's starting a business or you know, applying for a promotion, just with the idea that it might take a hundred times to get it right or to get to someone to say yes, or to get the deal you want. All right. You might have to work through or to find the right partner, right? You might do the speed dating thing I mentioned early back in this episode, you know, 40, 50, 70 times. People might think, oh, oh yeah, I know I'm going to fail, but it might take three or four attempts. I go and think it might take a hundred, right? So if you set the bar there and then you, you, you strike gold and your 30th meeting or 40th meeting, uh, you're pleasantly surprised, but going in with like a, a marathon mindset is really where you need to be. I, that's just what separates the successful from, from those that haven't made it in the long term. It's just that, right? That, that's huge. And sometimes you don't know what's going to happen, right? So yeah. um, I've heard people say, you know, I'm going to this conference and, and, Look, I went on the conference and I didn't know what I was going to get out of it. And, and yeah. all of a sudden I met my business partner that I'm, I've been yeah. doing deals with for the next five, 10 years. Like it's just law of probability, right? You had no idea, you know, yeah. the, the South Carolina deal that we're a part of. Yeah. Right. So I went down to Charlotte for, mm -hmm. I was speaking at a, at a conference and ran into Arn, you know, we knew yeah. each other. And, and next thing you know, we're talking, next thing you know, we're, we're doing a yeah. deal together. Like, yep. That wouldn't have happened had I not gone to that conference. Like, and, you know, even though he knew me, he probably wouldn't have just called me out of the blue. It was just like, I'm, I'm in front of him and we're talking about it. So you, you know, you have to get yeah. out there and, and do it. Yep. Um, and, and yeah, it's funny the way, the way I met Oren was just, I'm thinking through a similar theme of like, I, we were on bigger pockets on a web. If you, I'm sure most listening have heard of that. If you haven't, it's a great forum for just networking for real estate in general, but like, just shot him a PM, uh, private message maybe a year ago. I was like, hey, man, I've seen you around here a lot. We both post together. Let's connect. Meet up for 15 minutes. That was two deals ago and a year and a half ago. So you never know. It can come of a, a one-line email, personal That was message. a one-line email. And then the next thing you know, a year later, you guys are doing a deal together. Yeah. Well, we did We did one maybe a couple months after that, a smaller, a 43 unit. So uh, it turns out we like working together. But a lot of times you might send 20 of those and it might just be nothing. Or you get on a call and like, yeah. I like real estate. Like, cool. Like what, you know, see, there's not a fit. You might have 50 of those and that's fine. I mean, but you need to go in with the fact that like, you might, like, I like the, you ever heard the flipping cards analogy? No. Where it's like flipping a deck of cards. Like you might flip a two, you might flip a four and then you flip enough cards. You're eventually going to flip a king, a jack, a queen, an ace, a joker, you know? <laughs> so you're eventually going to flip. You got to keep flipping the cards. So that's how yeah, life works. That, that's cool. So another story. I'm driving and I'm going down to meet a guy um, who I know very well. And, and my wife's like, so, you know, what's in it for you that you're going down? And I'm like, you know, I don't know. I'm going to, you know, visit this property with him. I'm, if nothing else, I'll just learn, you know. Thanks, and, you're crazy. Yeah. And yeah. the next thing you know, we're, we we're out and we're seeing stuff and we start talking about, hey, let's do this together. And, and now we're, yeah. you know, working on a deal together that we wouldn't have. But I didn't know that going in like some, yeah. some, like you said, flipping cards, 
Yes. Sometimes it's nothing. And then sometimes yeah. it turns out to be something. But you got to keep turning, you know, you just keep, keep going, keep the legs yeah. moving. Like a, uh, for those football fans out there, like an offensive lineman or running back, like you keep the legs moving, you know? I, I like that. I like that. Yeah. So you've talked about relationship business a lot. Um, why do you think it's a relationship business and, and how do you leverage that? Um, what difference does it make? I mean, for me, it's, it's pretty simple, right? This is by far and large a team, a team sport, a team career, whatever it may be. It's like no one individual is going to go huge on their own. So we rely on the help of others, whether it be a broker. So everyone says that. So talk about some of the team members. Yeah. So in, in the case of a multifamily general partner team, and these, you could wear more than one hat, right? But typically you'll have, and there'll be you know, a certain personality, the deal finder acquisitions partner that's working very closely with brokers or, and, you know, in our case, directly to sellers and you're, you know, trying to persuade them to sell their property or keeping a, and building a relationship. It may take eight or nine or 10 points of contact to it. Just like we talked about with finding partners, like let's say you go on the direct to seller approach where you're reaching out to property owners to see, hey, is the now the right time to sell? And they might say, oh, no, no, no. The ninth time might be the right time for them, right? So that, that role... It's going to be very, you know, very much a relationship person, a long-term relationship builder, whether it be a broker or an owner. You've got maybe more of a technical role on the underwriter who does a lot of the analysis, the analytics, which maybe the acquisitions person doesn't like doing. Like, you're kind of like me. I, I can do that stuff, but I really don't enjoy it. But those people know what they love doing and they love the analytics. I love analyzing the $3 rent difference between two <laughs> properties. They know who they are. And that's not me. And I know that. Right. That's fine, right? Right. Um, you've got the asset manager who, who's like the, got the project management background is really good at creating that cadence and accountability and the back and forth communication. Again, different type of relationship there. So there's just a few examples of, of, you know, roles that are out there that may be different personalities, but again, no one person that I know does all those things well and can do dozens of deals, right. And, and scale without killing themselves of working 150 hours a week. Yeah. And then on top of that's just people within the GP group. And then you've got yeah. the yeah. property managers and you've yeah. got the brokers and you've yeah. got legal counsel and you've got the yeah. rehab people. So there's yeah. just so investors. many people yeah. involved yeah. Uh, investors, right? It's, there's so many people involved, uh, the lenders yeah. in, in these deals that you just can't do it alone. And you have to build relationships no. where each person in, in that circle understands their role and understands that you're going to perform your role, right? Yeah. They don't, they don't want to work with people that, you know, are going to say one thing and don't deliver. Absolutely. And I think I'd say if you can do it all then you're not going big enough, right? It's just, you're doing, you're going too small. You're managing a handful of properties or something smaller, holding yourself back. So not going big enough. Let's, that's a good segue into what is your next big stretch goal? You know, it's funny. Uh, if you asked me that going into 2022, it'd probably be a different answer. I, I'd say looking at next year and I've got it now, I got a pretty clear line of sight to what the next nine years want to look like, or at least the nine year out mark, right? Not year to year, but you're a lot different than most. I mean, most people, they don't even write out what they want for next year. So you I got know. nine years out. Well, That's I've, been, great. I've been doing this, you know, you every year <laughs> and refining my process a bit. And it was all about like, okay, let me just put an arbitrary number out there. It doesn't make sense. So it doesn't need to be like 10,000 units or anything. I have a very specific, I'll call it a freedom number for our family. I've kind of itemized, here's my process, taking it a little bit. 
I've kind of itemized all the things that we want to do, experiences, where we want to live by the time the kids are in college and have that flexible to live where we want to be and not rely on having to rely on another company for income. So I got a number there. And then I backed into, hey, what, what do I enjoy doing the most? In this case, it's multifamily. And I know uh, what, how much passive income I need, right? So and my thoughts change. Instead of just trying to be, you know, constantly do two, 300 deal, uh, deal properties, Next year, I'd like to focus on doing a couple of JVs and I'm okay with smaller properties because it gives me the same, it's a larger percentage of a smaller pie. And honestly, I don't know about your perspective, but I'm finding that it's a lot less crowded in the, let's say like the 20 to 50 unit space. So if I do a few JVs there and keep the, the lights on with a couple of larger properties and a small piece of the pie there, it gets me where I need to be. And I'm a, I have a lot bigger voice in the decision-making table than a large three, 400 unit property. So I'm kind sure. of pivoted my strategy a little bit. And I like that's to do inter- a couple That's of interesting days. because most people go the other way, right? They exactly. just keep on one. They want to get bigger and more yes. units. And then they also want to shift from say BC properties to more A properties. Yeah, I know. And, it's, and, it's, and that's why everybody's like, oh, you got to go big, got to do a thousand units next year. I, I found that that's not necessarily what I need to do. Right. And I found that, uh, again, if you want to have a larger stake in some of these properties and you've got, again, fortunate to have some of my own capital to deploy that maybe you could do it with a smaller group. And I don't need to do hundreds of units every, you know, every quarter to do that, to meet my goals. Right. So I know where I need to be and I, I know what I enjoy doing. I'm starting to learn what I don't like doing more and more too. So that's well, kind of how I've dialed in. I know it's backwards from what most are thinking, but that's fine with me. I don't care. <laughs> that's, Hey, I, I like to hear from people that they think not only about hitting certain goals, but they think about their lifestyle because that's, yeah. That's what everyone's selling this as. Yeah. It's like, it's, hey, it's the ability to get freedom of your time and freedom of your money. And, you know, um, but some people build these massive companies and they're just like, they, you know, they don't have the time anymore no. <laughs> because they're, and, they've built this big machine. And there's a certain quality control aspect that comes with it too. Like I, I, I always really enjoy having one-on-one conversations with my investors and my partners. And I think you get to a certain point I don't want them to have to talk to seven members of my team to have that same relationship. They, they, they like working with me they, they invest with me because they like the quality of I, 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 the product I deliver and the communication. And as you get bigger and bigger, it always seems to fall apart somewhere. I mean, you can have a great team, but it, it only gets you so far, you know, you lose that personal touch. No, oh, that's cool. That's cool. I, yeah. I appreciate that. So what do you like to do outside of work for fun? I got a lot of hobbies. So what do you got? I guess we'll rattle off a couple of the more famous ones, like from my wife's perspective, but I'm, I've always been an automotive, not my company's name is Redline Equity for a reason. So it happens to deal with, uh, I'm a gearhead. I have been since uh, probably the early days, along with the tech stuff. Um, I love so the what barbecue. Do you, what, what, what do you own for, for automobiles? So I got a couple of things. So I've, I've, I grew up as a, a muscle car guy. So I had all that okay. stuff in the past, you know, vets, et cetera. But uh, I've just, I pivoted into the electric world now. So I just really? picked up um, recently in the next month, a Tesla Model S Plaid, which is at this time, uh, still the world's fastest accelerating car, which is just absolutely ridiculous. The fact that you can go out and buy, anybody can just, with anybody with, with a checkbook or credit, whatever, can go out and buy a thousand horsepower car and just get in and drive it. It's just ridiculous to me. I mean, I grew up building cars and spending all my allowance or money or whatever it was on car parts just to try to get that 10 second quarter mile. 
you can go out and drive it. And this thing doesn't even use fuel. Like it doesn't make any noise. It doesn't really burn. It doesn't smoke the tires. It's just ridiculous. So the error we're in, we're just spoiled with the amount of uh, performance out there at, at, out of the factory. There's a lot of cars out there. I mean, in that, in that range that are just super competitive, which is an interesting time to live in from an automotive enthusiast standpoint. Absolutely. So, Hey, if you're a listener out there, you're wanting to find a syndicator who has a love for cars like yes. this is the guy for you. So how do they reach out to you? What's the best way for people to reach out to you? I mean, everything really funnels through our site. It's investwithredline.com. You've got a link to our podcast in there. We do weekly blogs. We've got almost 80 of those on there now. We've got a free eight-part investing course. Everything you can find us on there. Email or all contacts through investwithredline.com. Fantastic. Well, Andrew, I really appreciate you coming on the show. I'm looking forward to being on yours at some point here yeah. in the next couple of weeks. We're and ready, um, listeners, reach out to Andrew. He's a great guy and he's down to earth. And look, he's he's really investor focused. And that is so important in this day and age. So um, until next week, sign off. Thanks for having me, sir. Thank you for listening to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show at darrenbatchelder.com. If you liked the episode, please provide us with a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. If you already provided us with a five-star review, then thank you. And please share the show with a friend. <laughs>